Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So buying a house is a big decision. And, you know, you see a lot of those ads for realtors saying, you know, don't get uh, caught off guard. Don't be surprised by uh, something after you make this purchase. It's a pretty big purchase. So how much do you need to know about uh, a house that you're buying? So the story out of BC, I, I think it's going to be pretty relevant going forward. A BC woman who sought to back out of a real estate deal for a pricey Shaughnessy mansion because of an undisclosed murder there two years prior had her claim thrown out by BC's top court. The BC Court of Appeal tossed a lower court ruling, which had found May Zen Wang had fraudulently misrepresented the state of the mansion when she and her realtors didn't mention the murder as a reason for selling the $6 million property. The three-judge panel found that Wang wasn't obligated to provide that information as there was no way to know that the killing two years previously would be material to the buyer. Well, how relevant is it? Might be more or less relevant to, to different people, depending on what it is they're concerned about, how long ago it happened, and, and other factors. So joining us to talk about the implications of this and, and how this is handled or should be handled in the real estate industry. Very pleased to welcome to the program, Ontario-based real estate lawyer, Alan Silverstein. Now, Alan, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for calling me. Are you surprised at all by this ruling? Actually, it's a better ruling than the original trial decision. Yeah. Let me go back to the first thing you said about surprises, and I've been <laughs> using this line for years. Surprises are for birthdays, not for real estate. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's important. And the reason I'm saying that I think the Court of Appeal decision is better than the trial court, even though the result is not as good for the purchaser, is the fact that it's more realistic. Because what the Court of Appeal said in its decision is, if you have to go asking people why you're selling and the reasons behind your decision, it'll throw real estate into a tizzy. And so we're back really to where we were before the trial decision, where we look at caveat emptor and the duty to disclose and stigmatize property. And this case really brought all three of those together. Mm-hmm. Caveat emptor still is the law of the land in most cases. The only exception really is what we call latent defects, those that are not visible, and then only if it's a health or safety hazard. So the duty to disclose is very limited. Now, you can't conceal, you can't hide, you can't lie. But for the most part, sellers don't have an obligation to disclose very, very much. Here we have a situation where it was a stigmatized property. There was a death. And how do you handle situations like that? It's really difficult because the rules are not clear. It's not a health or safety issue. It's a value issue. It's a psychological issue. But should that entitle somebody to walk away from the deal? And the trial judge said yes. The Court of Appeals said no. You can see how difficult a decision it is. And... It's unfortunate we don't have clear laws, but that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know how I would feel necessarily if that was the, disclosed to me, but it just it, it doesn't feel any material materially different than if, you know, somebody died in their sleep, somebody died of old age. I mean, if the issue is that it creates a bad vibe in the house, what, what would the difference be? People feel that if there's been a death in the house, if there's been something involving um, any other stigma, potentially ghosts, they should be disclosed. Now, 
there were, I have a friend who went to law school with me. He bought a house where there was an axe murder. He said, I got a good deal. Yeah, I don't know I if suppose. I could buy that property. But we, what we really need in this country, every province, and it's, all a, it's a provincial matter, is a simple, straightforward law like they have in California. Three years. Three years, Rob. Any death, any cause, you have to disclose it. There's an obligation to disclose. After that, you can't lie, you can't conceal. But for three years, you have to disclose any death. After that, it's not a stigma. Because when a property is stigmatized, how long does the stigma run? If somebody committed suicide, is it three years, five years, ten years, twenty years, a hundred years? We don't know. So we need some straightforward rules to clean all of this up. And that's why we have cases going and then being reversed. And this may go to the Supreme Court of Canada because the numbers involved. Dealing with issues involving not just the duty to disclose and caveat emperor, but stigmatized properties. And a nice, simple yeah. rule, whether you make it three years or five years, doesn't matter, where everybody knows what the rules are, would make it a lot simpler for buyers and sellers and the real estate industry. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, there's some logic to that. I mean, in that sense, though, if a murder took place 20 years ago or a murder took place 20 months ago, I mean, a murder still happened in that property, right? There are some properties where... They're so stigmatized, the property just cannot be sold. Two examples. The Bernardo House in uh, St. Catharines had to be torn down. And the same thing is happening here in Toronto, where the uh, Sherman House, where there was a double murder, again, they can't sell it. They're tearing it down. Some issues, some uh, murders are just so notorious, you can't sell a property. But on the other hand... Other deaths, and this is going back to the days of concerns over AIDS, if somebody dies of cancer, if somebody dies, as you said, a natural death, suicides. How long does the stigma run? We don't have answers, but we should be able to come up with answers because we're living in a continent where there's over 60 jurisdictions. And if we were to look at the best of the, what's going on elsewhere in North America, I'm sure we could come up with answers province by province to deal with this and eliminate so much uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, stigma, that can mean a lot of things. I mean, you know, you talk about the Bernardo house, you know, there's a difference between, you know, a house where murder took place or a house where a murderer lived. But I think people would find it difficult to live in the home of a serial killer, even if no actual murders took place there. Right? But, but tone it down to a suicide. The husband committed suicide. The wife is selling. How long does that have to be disclosed? Yeah. Okay, that's the problem. And here... The facts were even more unique because the buyer did not find out about the murder, which didn't happen in the house. It happened outside the house, which is even more interesting. But the murder, they found out about it between the signing of the contract and closing. So it was something that was revealed in between. Now, I've heard people say there's so much information on the Internet these days. If you're going to buy a house, go check the address. See if there's anything comes up on the Internet involving anything that you'd be concerned about, whether it's any sort of pollution or, or a stigma or anything, so much information is available. But I think we really need to come up with some simpler rules and even that, where people know what their obligations are if they're a seller and the, uh, their entitlements as a buyer, because we shouldn't have to have these kind of cases litigated and then flipped on reverse and maybe even flipped again, potentially, where uh, the fact situations will dictate what happens, but it, we could do a lot better in terms of our rules or do, in terms of our laws. Right, but even without those rules, if it, if it matters to people, they can ask the question, right? Oh, absolutely. And sellers have an obligation to be honest and not to conceal or reveal. So going back to the days of urethamaldite, which I know a lot of people are saying is still not an issue, but it still is, you can't lie if it has it. You can't lie if it had it. 
a big thing now in condominiums, at least in Ontario, is Kitech Plumbing. If somebody asks the seller, do you have Kitech Plumbing in your unit, you can't lie about it. But on the other hand, um, if you don't know about it, how can you be responsible for it? And in this case here, the Court of Appeal basically said, we're going to look at the issue of materiality. And you mentioned that at the top. What's material? And the Court of Appeal said they didn't believe that the um, issue of the murder outside the house between the signing of the contract and the closing was material assessed objectively. It's not a subjective issue. It's an objective issue. So we have to look at it like most people would look at it, not how you might in particular be affected by it. So I, I can't ask, why is this seller selling? But I can ask, has anybody ever been murdered in this house? Yes, that's exactly right. And again, the, the court said, if we start getting into reasons, mm-hmm. somebody lost their job, somebody committed suicide, somebody uh, committed a murder, it's getting into issues well beyond what they, they said real estate would be turned on its head. But you can ask questions, and you should ask questions, and your realtor should ask questions. Because the realtors are obligated to find out any material facts that would affect your decision to buy or sell that property. So if you're working with a realtor, it's important that you tell them if you're really concerned about anything at all, asbestos, uh, radon gas, anything at all, you've got to ask your realtor to ask the appropriate questions. We have the seller property disclosure statements. Um, There's a lot of concern about them being used because they put too much information out there that sellers normally would not have to provide. That's a whole different topic. But the point is, the issue of seller disclosure, caveat emptor, these are issues that have been kicking around for years. Occasionally, we get a high-profile case like this, especially when it's a stigmatized property, and it underscores the situation we have right now where we have too much uncertainty, and we shouldn't have that much uncertainty when it comes to the buying and selling. Well, what are these other latent defects? You refer to latent defects. Well, uh, one is urethromaldite fulminous insulation. You could asbestos, you could have radon gas, you could have, um, um, let's say that there was a previously a uh, flood in the house, backup of sewers, anything okay. that could have affected the property. And the courts don't look to the value of the property. They look to if it's a health or safety issue. Right. That's the only reason you can get out of a case involving um, caveat emptor. It's the only exclusion to caveat emptor. So if it's an obvious problem, you're not going to be able to work to get a, uh, um, any sort of a rebate or out of the contract, even if it's something that is not so obvious, only if it's a health or safety issue. So caveat emptor, despite being a 19th century concept, still is the law of the land in, across the country. And we need to, I think, modernize it. This is the 21st century. We're still living with a 19th century rule. Yeah, some important points. Alan, really appreciate the insight. Uh, thanks for making some time for us here today. Pleasure. All right, take care. Thanks very much. Ontario-based real estate lawyer Alan Silverstein. His thoughts on maybe where we need to go, but what the reality is. And, and basically, in this court case, confirms it, that it is still buyer beware. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.